Well, we've been uh, working on a series here through the book of Jonah. Uh, we're going to hit chapter 2 today. It's just uh, 10 little verses. This is a, a very, very short book. It's a very, very uh, unique book. And, um, oh, I think I lost it there. Let me pull it up again. A very unique book in the Bible. There's no other book in Scripture like this book. It is a book that is kind of big and exaggerated and it stretches us in weird ways all to kind of bring us to, to a point at the end of the book where we're, we're challenged to see God as reaching out and caring for and loving those that, that we might not want God to love. And um, it really stretches us that way. And so we've covered chapter one and so we've seen God ask Jonah this prophet to go to the city of Nineveh and tell them basically, hey, God sees what you're doing and he would like you to change because the folks of, of Nineveh were some of the most brutal people in all of history. And, and it's actually, they would flaunt their torture and we find that in archaeology today and some of the, the ways that they tortured people. And God sees this and asks Jonah to go and talk to them and, and God wasn't happy with, with their actions. And Jonah doesn't want to go. He doesn't want to go. And we might think, again, that Jonah doesn't want to go because there are brutal people. But we find out that Jonah doesn't want to go because Jonah knows God is merciful and compassionate and filled with love. And uh, Jonah has this, this thing thinking that God's going to show them grace. And Jonah doesn't want to have God show them grace. And so he runs the other way. He runs to the other side of the world to Joppa and he gets on this boat and we saw that he was sailing towards Joppa and this, this storm comes upon the ship and uh, the sailors are freaking out. They don't know what to do. This is one of the worst storms they've ever seen and so they start throwing stuff overboard. All these sailors are praying to all their different gods and Jonah is, it says he's asleep at the bottom of the boat. And so the sailors are trying to figure out who, who caused the storm because there was a belief back in those days that no matter what happened, it was somehow caused by the gods. And so they're trying to figure out what God caused this storm. And so they go to Jonah and they do a little investigating and Jonah admits, this is my fault. And Jonah says, the only way to stop the story, throw me overboard, kill me, throw me, throw me off the ship. But they don't want to do that. Who wants to throw someone over, uh, over, overboard? And so the sailors do everything they can to save the ship. The storm's not getting better. So eventually they make the decision to take Jonah and they throw him overboard. And that is kind of where we left off. It says, then the sailors picked Jonah up and threw him into the raging sea. And it said at that moment, the sea just went calm. And because of this miracle, uh, these sailors were like, instantly converted. <laughs> uh, they begin to follow God and, 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 and in God's grace, it says, now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And uh, this idea of Jonah being in the belly of a great fish, the Hebrew word is fish, not, not whale here, is of course, the, the imagery of this is well documented through lots of different art. I mean, you could imagine what it would be like being thrown overboard and thinking you're going to die and all of a sudden this gigantic fish comes in and swallows you up. And here's a, a picture of Jonah and a fish and an angel. Another one of 
Jonah being a projectile, being blasted onto the beach from some strange-looking fish, a uh, hippopotamus-looking fish with big lips, <laughs> Jonah walking out. And we got a little fish with uh, Jonah sticking out over the end. Of course, in one of the debates about this book, uh, which is a quite heated debate, is like, could this possibly be a real story? Could someone actually be in a fish for three days and three nights and live? And, you know, sometimes it's, it can be a heated debate. And there are folks who sometimes point to, uh, you know, some of the stories in history. There's, there's at least a couple out there of some supposedly being swallowed by a whale or something and living. You know, one of those stories comes from 1891. A guy named James, uh, supposedly, uh, when they were on this whaling expedition, you know, the, the whale hit the boat and one of the guys fell overboard and he was swallowed by this whale. And later they, they harpooned the whale and when they cut it open, they dragged James out and, uh, and, and supposedly he lived. Others doubt the story because there are lots of different renditions of it that, that he was blind for the rest of his life. Some say he was fine and some say it was 36 hours. Some say it was only a few hours. So there's doubt around this. Other people say well, it doesn't matter if it's scientifically possible because it was a miracle. And there's other people who say this is not a real story, that this whole book is just a parable. And so you have Orthodox scholars who think it's a historical story. You have Orthodox scholars who think it's just a parable. Uh, but in the end, it doesn't matter because the point of the book is the same. It's a message to God's people that God is loving those that we might not want God to love. And, and it puts us in the lap about what are we going to do about that? So let's pick up the story. So it says, Now the, the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. And then chapter 2, it picks up. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. Now, there are a lot of things in this book we don't see because we don't read it in the original languages. But this is one of these weird things that there's no explanation for it. In the Hebrew, the first time, two times the fish is mentioned, it is clearly a male fish. The third time the fish is mentioned, it is clearly a female fish. Now, why does the fish go from male to female? Some say, well, it's just a, it's a big poetic, it's just, it's just a parable. Uh, Jewish tradition is actually a little bit humorous, but uh, Jewish tradition is this. As one scholar wrote, the particularity of this change of gender led later rabbis to conclude that Jonah was comfortable enough in the roomy male fish not to pray, and because of this, God transferred him to a smaller female fish in which Jonah was uncomfortable to which he prayed. <laughs> in other words, you know, this big male fish gobbles up Jonah and Jonah's just chilling out there like, this is cool, this is roomy. And, yeah, I don't need to pray about this. This is, this is great. This is like, this is first class. And so God's like, no, I want you to be miserable. I want you to pray. And so he's transported from a male fish to a female fish that's really squishy. And all of a sudden, Jonah's like, now I'm in trouble. Help me, God. Seems weird to me, but that's uh, kind of some Jewish tradition there. Uh, we don't know why. Why it goes from male to female, but that's what it, it is in, in the Hebrew. And so from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord, God help me. I don't think any of us ever, ever pray that, right? 
It's probably unfamiliar to me, you know. No, it's like all the time we're praying that. At least, at least I am. You know, God, help. God, I need you. God, you have to step in. Uh, God, you have to do something. God, help me. And that's a very, very biblical prayer. Uh, we look in the Psalms. The psalmist writes, Hear my cry for help, my King and my God, for I pray to you. Or Psalm 28, listen to my prayer for mercy as I cry out to you for help. Or Psalm 39, hear my prayer, Lord, listen to my cry for help. Or Psalm 86, bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Even Jesus prayed this kind of prayer when he prayed, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. God, I need your help. We prayed that. I prayed that. Probably you have prayed that. And uh, graciously, God answers Jonah's, Jonah's prayer. It says in verse 2, He said, In my distress I called to the Lord and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead I called for help and you listened to my cry. And, and, and Psalm 18 very much reflects the book of Jonah. It says, in my distress, I cried out to the Lord. Yes, I prayed to my God for help. He heard me from his sanctuary. My cry to him reached his ears. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. The Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me. And, and this is that answer to prayer. And, and, and we know that too. I mean, there are times when God steps in and He answers our prayer. You know, I, I know of a friend of mine who was hiking up in the mountains in the summer on a glacier and he became totally snow blind. He could not see anything. And in his distress, like Jonah, he called out, God, would you help me? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get off this. And he, he was instantly healed. He could see and he was able to get down. And we hear stories like that of God curing cancer and doing these amazing miracles and, and opening up doors when it seems impossible. And, and, and many people in this church have these stories of these great miracles. But all of us also have stories of times when we've been calling out for help and distress and it's not happening. There doesn't seem to be an answer. God's not stepping in and, and reversing this. And the Bible doesn't spiritually bypass this issue. I know, I know sometimes we don't like to talk about unanswered prayer. Uh, but the Bible doesn't bypass this issue. You know, we do. We're like, oh, we don't want to talk about that. And we, do a, you know, we just want to stay positive. But the Bible doesn't spiritually bypass this. The Bible is very clear about the wrestling we have of sometimes calling out to God and not getting the answer we want. Psalm 88 is a psalm like this. This, this psalmist says, I call to you, Lord, every day. I spread my hands out to you. I, I cry to you for help, Lord. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. Why, Lord, do you reject me and hide your face from me? You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. And so this is this, is this darkness, this the calling out and, and not getting the answer you want. And, and, and we know this. 
at least if you're honest. <laughs> I mean, I, pray, I prayed for a ton of people. I prayed for lots of people. And I sometimes got answers, but it seems a lot of times there isn't the answer that I am looking for. And, and the Bible's honest about this, that this is this reality of living in our world. And, and we need to be careful, however, not to just say, well, God didn't answer my prayer, and to say, the only reason my prayer didn't answer isn't answered because, you know, God said no. If you look honestly at the scripture, there's a lot of mystery to why sometimes our prayers aren't answered. And it doesn't take a long time to skim the Bible and we see that there are a lot of different reasons why our prayers aren't answered, that God is not the only factor. And sometimes we can get in this thing that, that you know, if, if only God would just answer this prayer. But there are a whole lot of other things going on and different variables that the scripture talks about that some reasons are our prayers aren't answered. Because sometimes God is like, yes, yes, I agree. I want to answer this, but there's a lot of other things going on. And so we see in Scripture that, yes, sometimes it is a God's will thing. You know, I can pray right now. You know, God, would you just give us all a billion dollars right now? Just, this would be great. Throw it in our lap. It's probably... Up there, maybe is my faith. I could have more faith. But it's probably God saying, you know, no, that's maybe not the best idea right now. God's will. Uh, sometimes it's his timing. Sometimes it's his will where he says, you might think this is a great thing, but I don't think this is a good thing. But there are a lot of other times when we're praying for things that seem good and full of life and bringing something into the kingdom where we pray and God is saying, yes, I want this. But there's more going on in this universe than just, you know, God saying yes or no. For instance, we have our own free will. And we see a lot of times in the scripture, it, it talks about like God's plan was thwarted because, you know, because of what someone did. Or, you know, there's that plan that God, the Pharisees rejected God's plan for themselves. I mean, all over the scripture, pretty much every chapter, we see people doing things that are not God's will. God wants something to happen, but we have in our own free will are going the opposite way. Our own free will can get in the way. Other people's free will can get in the way. We see that. We see scripture that talks about our own faith getting in the way or other people's faith. We see scripture that talks about evil spirits at work getting in the way of answered prayer. And, or general spiritual world. We see Daniel, he prayed this one time and, and there was this weird battle going on in, in the heavenlies and so the prayer didn't get answered right away. And, and then we're just in this fallen, broken world. I mean, we just don't know sometimes why one of our prayers isn't answered. But we do know this. The Bible says, keep on asking, keep on knocking, keep on seeking, keep on praying, and the door will be open for you. This idea that Jesus talked about it a lot, about persistent prayer, there's something that we just keep praying and praying and praying. If God is not saying stop, just keep praying and praying and praying. Now for Jonah... He was in there for three days, three nights, and, and, and God eventually answers his prayer, and he is rescued. Now back to uh, Jonah chapter 2. It's kind of weird what Jonah says here. He says, you, talking to God, <laughs> he's praying, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled about me, all your waves and breakers swept over me. This is a little weird that he says, God, you threw me into the sea. Because we might be like, well, wait a minute, Jonah. I think we read chapter one. <laughs> In chapter one, 
Jonah is the one who says, toss me into the sea. And then we read chapter one, clearly it's the sailors who throw him into the water. It wasn't God who did it. It was like Jonah's asking and the sailors did it. But Jonah says, God, you threw me into the sea. And this is actually a very common way you see in the Old Testament that whenever something happens in the Old Testament, whether good or bad, whether good or evil, that again, I was kind of thinking back then that it was always at the hands of God. And so you see very evil things happening in the scripture that people will say, God did this, or very good things happening, say, God did this. For instance, let's go back to this uh, unanswered prayer psalm. We see this very clearly. In fact, Psalm 88 is a parallel in some ways to the book of Jonah. Notice his language towards God. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me. You have overwhelmed me with all your waves. You have taken from me my closest friends and have made me repulsive to them. Now, we line this up with Jesus. It doesn't seem like something God would do. It's like you took all his friends away and you made them repulsive and you put them in the pit. I mean, didn't Jesus say that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy, but Jesus came to bring us life? I mean, but this is like Old Testament thinking. It's always like God did this. Whether it was good or bad, God was kind of behind all things. And he says, your wrath has swept over me. Your terrors have destroyed me. All day long, they surround me like a flood. They have completely engulfed me. He says, God, you did this. You made my life miserable. You've taken all my friends away. And he says, this is your wrath on me. Now, there's a couple ways you can look at the wrath of God. One is sort of the ugly God view. God is angry and he's constantly wanting to squish us. And he's just like, you know, I'm angry with you and look at what you just did and I'm going to pour my wrath on you and squish you and make your life miserable. Which is really weird when you think about God's forgiveness. I mean, if I said to you, I totally forgive you, but I'm going to get you back and I'm going to beat you up and I'm so angry. That's not forgiveness. <laughs> forgiveness is when you let it go and you don't bring it into account. That's what God does towards us. As far as the east is from the west, so he's forgiven us or since there's no condemnation for those in, in, in Christ. I mean, this idea of God being angry and just wanting to squish us, how does that work with, you know, the God's wrath? But there's another way scholars look at the wrath of God. And that fits more with what's happening here in Jonah, with more of what's happening in Psalm 88. And that is, God is grieved and is letting us go to the way we stubbornly desire. God is letting us experience the consequences of our own choices. And so it's not God like, I'm going to get you. It is God saying, I really don't want to have to do this. But you just keep wanting to go and run the opposite way. And I keep reaching out my hands to hold you and love you and to bring you back into my fold. But you keep wanting to run the other way. And there comes a point where God is like, I love you. And because I've given you free will, I, I, I'm just going to let you go because love does not con control. And, and it's this letting go where he lets us go down our own path. And often we experience these horrible consequences. And the Bible often labels that as, interestingly enough, as God's wrath. It's not as a active thing. It's God saying, I'm so grieved to have to let you say, you want, you want to run? I'm going to let you run. And we see this in Romans 1 very clearly. It says, the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godliness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
And then it says this, Therefore God gave them over into the, into the sinful dyers that he gives us over and lets us travel. I mean, love doesn't control. I mean, if I, I love my wife, that means I don't control her every action. I don't like, you know, have her like, Jesse, can I do this? Can I do this? And like, that, I mean, that's abusive, that kind of control. God is not abusive. If we want to go our own way, he eventually will let us go in our way. And, and the Bible, in, in the sense, labels that as God's wrath. And, and Jonah says, you know, you threw me over. God did not actually do that. The people did that. But it says, God, Jonah is running and Jonah is facing his own consequences. We, we see this in Lamentations when God says about God, God does not willingly bring affliction or grief to anyone. We see this in Jesus. This is always God's heart because Jesus reveals to us the heart of God. It, Jesus is thinking about the coming destruction of Jerusalem and all the suffering that's going to happen. And here's the heart of God. Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. And you were not willing. Look, your health, ha house is left to you desolate. This is God saying, I want to bring you into my arms. I want to hold you. I want to love you. I want to walk with you. I want to protect you. I want to give you, you life. But they weren't willing Sometimes we run the other way and if we keep saying, God, no, God, I don't want you. Go away. I want to do my own thing. The Bible says the wrath of God sometimes is where he says, okay, I'll, I, I don't control you. In my grief, I'm going to let you go. And like Jonah, he experiences these consequences of being thrown over. Yet for Jonah, God's grace was still there. He sends, it says, the Lord provided a fish and scoops Jonah up. And even when we're running our own way, when we push God away and we're doing our own thing, God's grace is still always at work. Just as the grace of God showed up in a fish in Jonah's life, if you're running and doing your own thing, if you just stop and look, you will see God's grace calling you. You will see God's grace reaching down and saying, I am here. I'm here to hold you. And in Jonah's story, it was a fish. In your story, I don't know how that looks like, but if there's an area of your life where you feel that you're running, just stop and see where God's fish is. His grace is collecting you and wanting to pull you back. So Jonah says, I have been banished from your sight. Similar to what Jesus says, you know, <laughs> why have you forsaken me? It's not that God will ever forsake us. God didn't banish Jonah. God didn't forsake Jesus. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. But sometimes we feel like that. It feels in our darkness, in, in our this lowest place, we feel like, God, where are you? This is a cry from the heart. But God never will leave you, never will forsake you. So he says, yet I will look again towards your holy temple. We'll talk about looking towards the temple in one sec. He says, the engulfing waters threatened me. The, the deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. I don't know why, but it just seems like a humorous image to me. You know, Jonah with seaweed around his, his head. A little seaweed toque. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. 
in Hebrew, we see this, this phraseology. You don't see it in English, but there's this idea of Jonah going down, 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 down until he's at absolute rock bottom. He goes down from his hometown to Joppa. He goes down from Joppa into the bottom of the ship. He goes from the ship down into the water. And now he says, you know, to the roots of the mountains, I sank down. He's at his very lowest point. He is calling out for God, would you help me? And all of a sudden, in rock bottom, he has this little revival. This is often where revival happens. was when we are at our lowest, and all our efforts have come dry, and all our trying to get out of it just does not work, and we're tired, and we're down, and ready to give up, and we're just say, God, help me. That can be the start of a revival. That can be the start of a new path. And it was for Jonah. But you, Lord, my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. And my prayer rose, rose to you, to your holy temple. Now, why does Jonah keep talking about the temple? <laughs> Shouldn't he be talking about the presence of God? Why are you talking about the temple? Well, again, is thinking in, in Old Testament times that temples represented the presence of God. And he's talking about towards the temple because... Jewish people always prayed towards Jerusalem. No matter where they were, they would try to pray. You see the book of Daniel. Daniel opens his window. It says towards Jerusalem, and he prayed towards Jerusalem. They always prayed towards the temple. Many Jews still do that. Just like folks in Islam will pray towards their temple in Mecca, and different religions have prayer directions. This is kind of common religious history. Um, and for Christians as well, like early Christians always prayed towards the east because the Bible says the Garden of Eden was in the east and, and Jesus is coming to Jerusalem from the east. And so in many ancient Christian homes, they'd always put the cross on the eastern wall of their, of their houses and they would pray that way. Now, sadly, we're facing the wrong way because east, is, I think, is about that way. So I know, we, gotta, we, gotta, we need a new church. Let's build a new church facing east. I don't know. <laughs> but he's just talking about praying towards the presence of God, towards, towards Jerusalem. And then Jonah says this, there's two more verses here. In this little revival, he says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. And he's not talking about little stones, statues of something. Jonah is in a little revival. He has hit rock bottom. He's at his lowest point, And he realized that he has been running from God, that he turned away from God's love. And he realizes that he's been looking to an idol. An idol of, I want to do my own thing and I don't want to listen to you, God. <laughs> I want my independence. I'm going to Joppa. I'm not going to, to Nineveh. I mean, an idol really is anything we look to that excludes God from our decisions, thoughts, and actions. And Jonah was doing this. He's like, I'm not going to Nineveh. I know, I know God, you're asking me to, but I'm going to Joppa. I'm going to the other end of the world. And then Jonah goes down, 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 down. He's at absolute rock bottom. And God meets him there in his grace. And all of a sudden he realizes, like, what in the world am I doing? Why am I running from the God of love? Why am I running from the one who cares so much for me? Why am I running? And he realizes like, oh, I've turned away from God's love for me because God is for us. God is for Jonah. Have you, ever, have you ever kind of forget this? 1 John 3 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. 
or Romans 8.31. It's this reality. God is for you. And so Jonah comes to this realization. If, I, if I'm running from God, then I'm actually running from love and life and the fullness. I mean, think about what God was asking Jonah to actually be a part of. I mean, if this is a historically true story, this would be the greatest revival that has ever happened in all of history. <laughs> he does this little horrible five-word sermon and this gigantic city that was totally off base all repents. Even the cattle repent in the story because there's weird stuff in the story. I mean, this would have been the greatest revival. God is saying, Jonah, I'm inviting you to be the leader of the greatest revival that has ever happened in history. And like Jonah's just running the other way. God is bringing him to life and to excitement and to a life of, of thrill. And God is always inviting us that way too. And so when we begin to go in our own way, uh, we're running from that. And Jonah, he realizes that. And so he has this little revival in the bottom of this whale. <laughs> but I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed I will make good, I will say salvation comes from this Lord. And he's even on this little prayer party in the, the bottom of this whale. And the Lord commanded the fish, and I love this phrase, it vomited Jonah onto the beach. <laughs> I don't know if it was like that. Now the whale got there. It seems like a weird story. So maybe it's just a parable, but somehow the fish spat him up on the beach. And then we get to enter into chapter 3 next week. So Father, we thank you. And when we are running from you, you're meeting us there with your grace. And those areas of our life where we keep going down and down and down and down, God, that you provide a fish for us to latch on to. God, that you never leave us nor forsake us. God, I pray you would help us to just settle into the reality that you are for us. So God, is there anything in our hearts, my heart, God, that I'm running from you in, that I'm being a Jonah. I'm saying, God, no, I'm going to Joppa instead of following you. God, is there anything in my heart? God, may you remind us you are calling us into life, into love, into the best, into anything far beyond all that we can imagine. So God, cause revival in our heart. Turn our eyes towards you. In Jesus' name, amen.